there is no shortage of memorable characters in God of War. Sarcastic squirrels, decapitated, reanimated wise men, East Coast Odin, I basically have a 14-way tie for my favorite. That being said, the dwarven blacksmiths Brock and Sindri and the relationship that they have as brothers holds a special place in my heart. They don't always get along. Hell, when you first meet them, they aren't even on speaking terms. Your brother wanted to know if you're getting enough to eat. I guess I could tell him you are. Brock was asking about me? Was there meat on his breath? But they care deeply about each other, and it's obvious they take a lot of pride in the work that they do together. It was me what made her. Me and my brother. Was one of our best. I know that blade. It was one of ours, but, uh, <laughs> we didn't make it for you. But in my opinion, the most fascinating part of Brock and Sindri's inclusion in the game is that there's actually very little written about them in our Old Norse resources. In fact, there's only one myth that mentions them at all. But you've got to give credit where it's due. The events that take place in that lone myth, including the forging of a certain weapon, have a tremendous influence on the rest of the stories in the Eddas. And the developers captured this phenomenon perfectly in their adaptation, while including some clever references to lesser-known parts of the Norse mythos. My name is John Solo, this is the Messed Up Origins Podcast, and I'm going to tell you everything there is to know about Brock, Sindri, and the surprising ways that the God of War developers use the dwarf story to tell their own. Chapter 1, The Contest Before you go any further, spoilers abound in this episode. I know there's a few of you thinking, how much can he spoil, really? The answer is, the whole damn thing, so proceed with caution. The myth that we're primarily focusing on today can be found in the Prose Edda. Written by the Icelandic poet Snorri Sturluson around 1220 CE, it's one of our two most used resources for Norse mythology. The other being the Poetic Edda, written by a bunch of nameless, faceless poets who we pagans owe our infinite gratitude. The story begins like many others in Norse mythology, with Loki being a shithead. On this occasion, he made a pretty bad judgment call and decided to shave the head of Thor's wife, Sif, so that she was completely bald. He left no patches, no little nubs, nothing. And when Thor woke up to the horror of seeing his own face reflected back at him in his wife's shiny head, he immediately knew who to blame. This was obviously Loki's fault, because anytime anything went wrong, it was Loki's fault. But when Thor confronted him, threatening to break every bone in his body if he didn't find a solution, Loki reassured him. He said he could easily convince the dark-skinned dwarves called the Valdi Sons to create new hair for Sif that was even better than her old hair. Hair made of gold. And while Thor remained skeptical, he probably realized he could just as easily snap Loki in half later, so he accepted the trickster's promise. Next, Loki went to Evaldi's sons, who are not Brock and Sindri, and persuaded them to make said golden hair, plus two other gifts for the Aesir. But then, he took his plan a step further. He approached another pair of dwarves, whose names were Broker and Eitri, and wagered his own head that they wouldn't be able to make three gifts that were as good or better than Ivaldi's sons. Not one to shy away from a challenge, Broker accepted the terms and put his own head on the line as well, which Loki greatly enjoyed. Then, he and his brother went to work. Now, as you probably figured out already, Broker, whose name translates to Badger, was the mythological basis for Brock, while Eitri, whose name means poison, inspired Sindri. Only the developers gave Sindri the name that's found in the Codex Regius instead of the Prose Edda, 
for some reason. When it comes to the brothers' personalities, those were completely invented for the game. I will say Brock's no-fucks-given attitude is consistent with that of a badger, but that's about the extent of the overlap. Back to the story, for their first item, Eitri laid a pigskin in the furnace and told Broker to blow the bellows non-stop until the skin was ready to be taken out. For those who don't know, bellows were devices that blew air on the forge fire, leading to a higher rate of combustion, therefore making the forge hotter. So Eitri left for the smithy while Broker started pumping the bellows. He was huffing and puffing away when a fly landed on his hand and bit him. A lesser blacksmith might have been distracted by the bite, but it would take more than that to throw Broker off his game. When Eitri returned, he pulled the prize out of the furnace. It was a living, breathing boar with golden glowing bristles. Then he threw a gold ingot into the furnace and gave Broker the same instructions I gave your mom last night. Whatever you do, don't stop blowing. Sorry, I had to do it. In honor of Brock, he would have enjoyed that one. Once again, he left for the smithy, and once again, Broker did as he was told. But this time, that same strangely persistent fly bit him on the neck. Nevertheless, he kept his rhythm going, and when Eitri came back, he pulled a small gold ring out of the furnace. For their final entry, Eitri had something special prepared, and he told Broker that if he messed it up, this whole endeavor would have been for nothing. Also, he reminded him that his head might get chopped off. The dwarves get back to work and the fly came around again, almost as if it was trying to sabotage the blacksmith. It landed between his eyes and bit him so hard on the eyelid that he started bleeding. Broker had no choice but to stop bellowing for a second just to wipe the blood from his eyes, but that was enough to do damage on what was supposed to be their masterpiece. Either there wasn't enough time for a do-over or they just didn't think it was worth it because soon after, Broker and Eitri went to Asgard guard to pit their three prizes against those made by Evaldi's sons, which were presented by Loki. Now we've got to give Evaldi's boys credit where it's due. They made some pretty incredible gear. Odin was given a razor sharp spear called Gunnir, which would never miss its mark. Freyr received Skithblothner, a ship that was always blessed with fair winds and could be folded up like a napkin for easy storage. And then there was Sith. Thor placed the radiant gold wig on her smooth, shiny head, and in a matter of moments, it had tripled its original length. Not only was her new hair more beautiful than before, she now had more of it than ever. In her eyes, this wig was the best gift of them all, but Broker and Eitri still had to present their gifts. To Odin, they gave the gold ring called Draupnir, which was enchanted to produce eight new gold rings every ninth night. Freyr was given the boar. Its name was Golenbursti, and it could run through the air and sea as fast as any horse could on land and its bristles always provided light, even in the darkest of places. Last, but certainly not least, was their imperfect prize, the Hammer Mjolnir. They presented it to Thor and told him it can never be damaged no matter how hard he swings it, it'll always return regardless of how far he throws it, and it could shrink down so he could hide it anywhere on his person and get it through airport security. The Hammer's only flaw was its handle. It was way too short at least according to Eitri. The Aesir actually took no issue with the handle, and because the hammer provided the greatest defense against the giants, it was declared the best gift of all. Broker and Eitri won the contest fair and square, which meant that Loki owed them his head, but he wasn't gonna make it easy for them to collect. After his attempts to pay off the dwarves proved pointless, he straight up tried to run away. Despite wearing magic shoes that allowed him to run on the air and sea, it didn't take Thor long to catch up to Loki and bring him back. Then, the restrained Loki argued there was a loophole in their agreement. He said that he only owed Broker his head, not his neck, 
so Broker was welcome to claim his prize, but damaging his neck at all would be a violation. Although Broker really wanted to chop Loki's head off, he admitted that the terms were the terms. And instead, he chose to sew Loki's mouth shut, a decision the Aesir greatly appreciated. So that is the one and only story that Broker and Eitri appear in. But as you can now see, I wasn't lying when I said it had a huge impact on the Norse mythos. The sweet, sweet loot the gods are given in this myth becomes some of their most iconic attributes. Sif's hair, Odin's spear, Thor's motherfucking hammer. Those gifts put a lot of events into motion, as did the gifts Brock and Sindri made in God of War, which we'll dive into after I shout out our sponsor, Squarespace. Broker and Sindri were able to make such magnificent gifts because they were master craftsmen. But thanks to Squarespace, you don't have to be an expert to make something beautiful. Squarespace has made a name for themselves by empowering people like you and I, giving us the ability to design websites easily, efficiently, and affordably. From step one, they make the process simple and effortless with their giant library of award-winning templates and intuitive design tools. Want some examples? I'll give you some examples. You business owners can manage your appointments, creators can house premium content your audience pays to access, and you can even optimize your site so it looks just as beautiful on mobile devices as it does on desktop. Squarespace even gives you marketing tools and analytics so you can make sure your site is running effectively as well as access to personalized customer support 24-7 for those rare occasions when it's not. So if you want to join me and the thousands in our community who've benefited from using Squarespace, go to squarespace.com slash John Solo to start your completely free trial. And when your site is ready for launch, use code John Solo to get 10% off your first purchase. Chapter 2, Master Craftsman So in the God of War universe, the process of forging Mjolnir was nearly identical to the mythology, down to the fly biting Brock and disrupting his rhythm. But unlike the myth, there was no chance this fly was Loki because Loki is Atreus and Atreus wasn't even born yet. With that in mind, instead of Brock and Sindri crafting the hammers part of a bet with Loki like their mythological counterparts, they simply did it to make a name for themselves. A decision they would regret for years to come because that same hammer was used to eradicate 90% of giants. Sidebar, it's worth noting that while the contest between the Huldra brothers and Ivaldi's sons doesn't happen in this universe, Odin does still rock his iconic spear, Freyr has his folded up ship, Sif's hair is as good as gold, and Draupnir was still created, though it seems Brock and Sindri kept it for themselves until Kratos came along. Draupnir? I bloody knew these two had nicked it. And Odin blamed me for it disappearing. They stole Dropnir. We didn't steal nothing. We just ungifted what never should have been gifted in the first place. We don't know where this Freyr got his boat or if Sif's hair is all natural, but according to Lunda's workshop notes, it was Ivaldi himself, not his sons, who made Odin's spear. No word on what happened with Golan Bursty, but maybe the game hit its max boar population with Hildesfini. Now when the guilt over the Jotun massacre grew to be too much for Sindri, he convinced Brock to help him make a weapon that could match Mjolnir's power and bring balance to the force. I mean the Nine Realms. Only the crafting of that weapon led to an incident. It's briefly mentioned by Sindri in the game, but to get the details, you have to either read the God of War wiki or listen to the Lost Pages of Norse Myth podcast, an official podcast that Sony created to build hype for the God of War 4 release and expand on its story. I just found out that podcast existed while researching for this episode, and what I learned made me kind of mad they didn't tell us more in the game. 
It turns out that while Brock and Sindri were making the counter weapon, the Leviathan Axe, a spider crawled up Brock's leg. He almost killed it just out of reflex, but remembering the damage that Gadfly caused all those years ago, Brock refused to break his concentration. If he wanted to attain true perfection, that spider had to be ignored. Unfortunately for Brock, that spider had seen him smush one of its relatives earlier that day and wanted revenge. It bit him on the leg and injected venom into his bloodstream. Brock was able to keep it together for another minute or so, but the moment Sindri gave him the all clear, he collapsed. The weapon had come out perfectly, but it cost Brock his life. That is how Brock died. The first time. And as we all know, his brother Sindri refused to accept it. He actually brought Brock's corpse with him to the Lake of Souls in Alfheim and fought legions of other souls to retrieve three of Brock's four soul parts. It wasn't the whole package, but it was enough to bring Brock back to life mostly unchanged. The only noticeable difference was that his skin had turned blue, the color that Old Norse texts often use to describe corpses. In the first game, Sindri tells Atreus that Brock turned blue from not wearing protective gear when handling silver. He prefers to work with metals using his own bare hands. No gloves, says it's the only way he can hear what it wants to be touch enough raw silver and it changes your skin irreparably. And while this is a real phenomenon, as evidenced by Paul Carson, it was a total fabrication. Regardless of how it happened though, Brock didn't seem to mind. He just went back to his blacksmithing business as if nothing had changed. And eventually they would give the Leviathan ax to a giantess named Laufey who would use it to defend her people from Thor as best she could and ultimately pass it on to her husband Kratos after she died. Chapter three, the soul. I wanna take a minute to explain what the hell happened with Brock's soul, because that whole storyline references a pretty niche part of Norse mythology. We don't know a whole lot about what the Norse people thought about death and the afterlife because they didn't write anything down until Christianity had already contaminated their views. And before that, there was no one accepted interpretation for how the universe and gods function. So while the Norse concept of the soul may not have even existed until the Christians got involved, they did believe there were four distinct components to the self. Those were the hammer, which translates to shape or skin and relates to how other people view us. The huger translates to thought or mind and represents human consciousness. And the haminya can be interpreted as a kind of luck. Only instead of unpredictable and arbitrary, this kind of luck means a person's success in life through their skills, decisions, actions, and attributes. According to Mimir, the fourth part and the part Brock was missing was his filgya, his direction. You can think of the filgya as a sort of guardian spirit. And when someone died, it was believed the filgya raced to the afterlife first in order to convince the Norns about an individual's worth so they could be welcomed to Valhalla or wherever they wanted to go. By the time Sindri got to the Lake of Souls, Brock's filgya was long gone but that didn't stop the codependent dwarf from making a decision that he had no right to make and bringing him back. A part of Brock's soul being missing is the reason that the lady, a mermaid craftsman who might be inspired by the mermaid who gave King Arthur the infamous Excalibur, doesn't acknowledge him once when forging the Draupnir spear. And it's this interaction that causes Brock to realize that Sindri had been lying to him all these years. Fuck! Damn it, Sindri, you lion's cat scrubber! I knew it. I died. I fucking died! 
His incomplete self is also why he's gone for good when he dies at the hands of Odin. Sindri's fear of being alone damned his brother to an eternity of non-existence, the same non-existent state that Sindri curses Odin with at the end of the game when he smashes his soul with Anfari's hammer. Now this might be a hot take, but in my opinion, Sindri brought this on himself. It was his idea to build the hammer, his idea to fix his fuck up by building the axe, and then his idea to bring his dead brother back to life despite knowing that he didn't have all his soul bits. I love Sindri, and seeing him broken by the events of Ragnarok really struck a chord with me, but I'm hoping and praying that by the time the next God of War game comes out, he's gained a little perspective and accepted responsibility. If he doesn't, he might end up being a boss battle, and we all know what happens when a boss finds themselves in Kratos' path. Then again, the next game might feature a somewhat reformed Kratos, so there's a good chance we'll just talk it out in group therapy. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more Norse mythology through the lens of pop culture, check out one of my dozen other episodes on Norse mythology. You can find literally all of them on all the podcast platforms. And to my fellow folklore and mythology nerds who want more messed up content sent to their device every Friday morning, make sure you follow our show and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. But if once a week isn't enough for you, subscribe to the channel on YouTube or follow us on social media for new short-form content every single weekday around 3 3 p.m. Central. That's right, I've finally given up on fighting it. I'm a TikToker now, so please excuse me while I lament my fate. I'll see you all next week when I dive into the messed up origins of interpretive dance. Until then, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first.